Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg from WFIU WTIU News, along with co-host WFIU WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Today we're talking about the potential for the role of advanced practice registered nurses to expand so that they could operate independently of a doctor's practice. The proposal is meant to address healthcare practitioner shortages in the state. We'll be talking with our guests about the potential solutions for these shortages and how Indiana residents would be, would be affected if APRNs were allowed to operate independently. And we have three guests in the studio and one joining us by phone. We're joined in the studio by Angela Thompson, who is a family nurse practitioner. Correct. That is correct. And Dr. Richard Feldman, who is uh, is a, a practicing physician with Franciscan Health Indianapolis and the former Indiana Health Commissioner. And Dina Dodd is the Director of Government Relations and Business Development at the in- the Indiana Rural Health Association. Also joining us by phone is Seema Mohapatra. She is an IUPUI Robert H. McKinney School of Law professor, and she specializes in healthcare law. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So welcome to all of our guests. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for hosting. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for being here with us. <laughs> so um, I'm going to ask, um, I guess I'm... I'm really going to throw it out there and, and get your different perspectives to sort of frame this issue. I want to start with uh, with Dr. Feldman. Um, you know, what's this issue that we're talking about? Whether um, the nurses should have be able to operate independently of doctors' offices. Um, you know, what's your take on this? Well, this uh, issue has been uh, particularly brewing for the last uh, two to three legislative sessions, and there's been some very passionate debate uh, among the stakeholders as well as uh, legislators. Uh, The issue uh, that the medical community has is that we we do not feel that advanced practice registered nurses, APRNs, they just don't have the depth and length uh, and appropriate training for independent practice of medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, I represent the Indiana Academy of Family Physicians as their legislative chair uh, during sessions, and our our position was: let's see what, how how we can compromise. Let's see what we can figure out. We can figure out a solution. And it was so polarized that there was no discussion on uh, compromise at all. Well, maybe we can maybe we can get some. Middle ground. Find some middle ground today. But a- Angela Thompson, what's your position on this? Well, I um, do not feel, and I represent the uh, advanced practice registered nurses in the state of Indiana, and um, that is uh, overseen by the Coalition of Advanced Practice Registered Nurses. So I speak for the organization in saying that. As an advanced practice registered nurse, we are uh, trained and educated fully to be able to practice independently providing nursing care, which just so happens to overlap oftentimes with the medical model. And so a lot of professions, when they're practicing health care, will have um, 
some commonalities in the the care that they're providing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that APRNs are practicing medicine per se. So I I do somewhat disagree with Dr. Feldman's take on it that we are not independently um, able to provide that care. Um, There is a lot of quality and safety data. Um, There has been quality and safety data were one of the most studied professions in the last 40 years. And over and over again, all of those studies demonstrate that we provide high quality and safe care comparable to a physician when you're looking at primary care health care conditions. And um, we we were uh, very interested as an organization in working and partnering with our medicine colleagues to try to come to an agreement on how would that look in Indiana so we can provide access to our patients and and expand health care to areas where currently there there are no providers. Um, And it was unfortunate that um, that could not be done this past session or the previous sessions. Um, And and unfortunately, a lot of that had to do with just not being able to come to the same sense of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. So Dina Dodd is here. She's Director of Government Relations and Business Development at the Indiana Rural Health Association. I know your association has not taken a position on this, correct? That that is correct. So uh, the overriding issue, though, is to provide access, right? So what's what's access look like to your organization? I mean, is, is there a need for more people to be practicing medicine in some form in the rural areas of Indiana? I think that we would all agree, regardless of which side of the table that we sit on, that there certainly needs to be more practitioners. I think that um, my organization and a number of others would uh, reflect on what's happened and what's going to be be happening across the state of Indiana and across the country. Uh, We're seeing our medical population um, becoming an older population. Um, There certainly are not enough medical practitioners to provide care for all of the constituents. And we certainly see um, huge holes uh, in rural populations where they don't have access to care. So um, it's certainly an interesting position to be in right now. All right. Now we're going to go to Professor Mohapatra to talk about, uh, you know, health care law. And, and there are 22 other states, I think, that have some sort of law that would allow this to happen. Um, so how do, how do you see, you know, have you seen laws where this, you know, in states where this happens with some sort of compromise position? Yeah, there, there's been a push uh, towards uh, this kind of kind of expansion of provision of health care services in many states. And many states are kind of facing the same kinds of struggles that Indiana is with the different um, interest groups that are at play here. But there there are states that have increasingly been um, expanding the role of advanced care nurses. And, you know, since 2010, the Institute of Medicine has kind of tried to have a push for um, removal of these scope of practice laws that prevent advanced practice nurses from providing this full uh, scope of healthcare service. And there's a lot of organizations that are not necessarily state stakeholders that have also been proponents of this. And so, um, and then in terms of like the Affordable Care Act, the Affordable Care Act really has, a, or known as Obamacare, has a lot of things in its model that, you know, that was passed in 2014, where there was an expansion of healthcare workforce that is to this is some kind of expansion of advanced care nursing. And so um, I think that this is, I, I'd be interested to hear, you know, the discussion that we have today, but in terms of legally, if, uh, in terms of what Dr. Feldman said, a nurse practitioner or advanced care nurse could not practice beyond the scope of their license in each state. So in Indiana, in its, and so otherwise it would be unauthorized practice. And so even though there's overlapping areas, um, a nurse practitioner or an advanced care nurse has been trained in the area that they are going to be practicing in. So that worry about, uh, you know, unauthorized practice of medicine is is not really legally that there are ramifications um, uh, that are already in place for it, regardless of what happens um, with this legislation. Did you want to say anything, Dr. Feldman? Well, uh, she's talking about the legality. Uh, The medical profession is concerned not so much about 
independent practice within the law. It's about being adequately trained before you go, one goes into independent practice. And that has been the whole issue with the medical community. Now, there are some in the medical community that say never. Over my dead body, uh, do I want a nurse practitioner practicing totally independently? But I think the, the body of the medical community just wants to have them adequately trained before they practice independently. And it was the academy's compromise position, which we can get into maybe later, uh, that the entire medical community in Indiana uh, adopted during the last session. And in the, the agreed-upon position was, let's assure adequate training. This is not about competition. This is not about turf. It's about training and education and being properly prepared before one goes out on its own, his or her own. We're using the terms advanced nurse. Oh, I'm sorry. Help me out. <laughs> advanced practice registered nurse. Yes. And nurse practitioner sort of interchangeably. Are those the same thing? A nurse practitioner is a type of advanced practice registered nurse. There are four different roles that encompass the advanced practice registered nurse and nurse practitioners. One of them makes up the large bulk. So oftentimes they are used interchangeably just because the majority of uh, it, the APRNs in Indiana are 70 to 80 percent around that are um, nurse, practitioners. nurse practitioners. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm curious, how are the certifications <clears throat> different now for a nurse practitioner than they are for, say, like an RN? In order to become an advanced practice registered nurse, uh, specifically if you want me to speak to nurse practitioner, um, there is a requirement not only in the state of Indiana but in all uh, 50 states that you have to have your registered nurse uh, licensure first. And so that requires a baccalaureate degree in nursing. And then you have to pass a national exam called the NCLEX. Uh, and um, be licensed in your state, um, apply for licensure. And then uh, there's an application to be able to uh, be entered into a master's program, um, an APRN program. And, and at that time, the uh, student chooses or selects what area of focus that they want to uh, train in. That could be family practice, it could be pediatrics, it could be women's health, it could be psychiatric. So they choose it at the onset and all of the training and education, the didactic as well as the clinical component, are geared towards that particular population focus. Uh, once that uh, the program is completed, then the applicant has to pass a certification exam, a national certification exam, and then also apply for licensure within the state. All right, our phone numbers again are 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Uh, Professor, you were getting ready to say something before. I just didn't want to – I want to make sure you had the opportunity. I don't know if I was saying. <laughs> okay, all right. I thought I heard you. So, all right. Well, I wanted to ask how what the relationship is now because I know that there have been times when I've called my physician's office and the person, not the physician, but the person just answering the phone said, well, I can get you in to see the nurse practitioner today, but you can't see the doctor yet. So I would see the nurse practitioner, would never see a physician. Um, is that – I mean, that that's how it operates now, correct? It's uh, very common, uh, either a nurse practitioner or <clears throat> a physician assistant um, extends the care of the physician on site. Uh, it's very common. And physicians are so busy and it's so hard to get an appointment that uh, the medical community has embraced the concept of a physician-led team. And... Uh, and we believe nurse practitioners and PAs, they are our colleagues, and they're very necessary and complementary to a physician's care. And they have the ability to extend that care within that physician-based office team. And that's, that's what you're seeing. And 
um, I think we all should feel very comfortable with that because if a um, APRN or a PA um, is uh, faced with something they don't feel confident with or comfortable with or had no experience with, there's always a physician to consult with. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that, that's what you're seeing when you when you get that appointment with the uh, nurse practitioner rather than the physician. I'm curious from your perspective how that relationship works, Angela. Well, um, I I'm gladly uh, would like to reply to that, but first I want to um, also kind of just uh, speak a little bit to uh, why oftentimes you're being uh, directed to an option to see a nurse practitioner, and a lot of that has to do with the shortage of health care providers. So there is a drastic shortage of physicians going into family practice and primary health care, and that trend has been for years, and it's just getting worse. And with the expansion of, with Affordable Care Act, and with a growing uh, baby boomer population, there's just a significant reduction in availability, especially in rural and underserved areas. And the uh, APRN um, growth has uh increased exponentially, uh, roughly about 37% per year is the increase in the APRNs going into the workforce, and that's in comparison to about 13% um, of physicians. And uh, so I think that's why you're seeing that, because there's there's more APRNs, and we're outpacing actually even in Indiana, I believe. Uh, you'll you'll find with this year's statistics when they're tabulated for licensure that there are more APRNs in family practice in Indiana than there are physicians. Um, I think this is the first time we'll outpace that number. So, um, but as far as how it works, we absolutely work in conjunction with many healthcare professions. That's physicians. That's uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, respiratory therapists, social workers, registered nurses, licensed practical nurses, medical assistants. So it really is a coordinated team or effort from all of us to be able to provide adequate care for our patients, especially with their complex medical needs. And um, and you will find that because of that, there are more team-based care and teams um, in, within hospitals and in outpatient settings. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask, and I guess this could be Alaska, Professor Mahapatra, and also anybody else who wants to answer, just about the the notion that, um, and Dr. Feldman, I'm kind of looking at you now. So, you know, as a family practice medicine, I mean, you're not going to go in and do uh, a lot of specialties that you're going to refer somebody to a specialty. So why isn't that similar to having a nurse practitioner operate independently, and then when they get to the point where they can't deal with the problem, they would refer it to a physician. Well, a family physician takes care of over 90% of the patient problems that come into his or her door. We don't refer, we're not just triage, we don't just refer all the patients out to specialists after we've screened them. We take care of the problems, and I think you'll find that in pediatrics or general internal medicine and so on. You're faced with an undifferentiated patient coming into you. They could be having a heart attack. They could be having indigestion. They could be having a uh, low back strain. And uh, one has to understand what they know and don't know and know when someone is sick or not sick and that takes experience and education. Um, and if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know when to refer appropriately. So uh, it's, it's different. That's why it's different with what we believe is a nurse practitioner out on his or her own because they are faced with undifferentiated patients with undifferentiated problems. And, I do, Angela, I don't understand your discussion about, well, this is nursing rather than medicine. I think it's the practice of medicine. When an undifferentiated patient comes to you with a problem and you're going to diagnose and treat it, um, I, I, don't see the, I, I don't see the distinction. And that's where the danger is. If you're not adequately trained, 
than to be able to meet the public coming in your door and being confident and competent to take care of those problems appropriately. And a family doc, yeah, I refer out. A lot of times I refer out because they need a procedure. It's not because I don't know what what in the world's going on with the patient. It's that they need something more specialized. Okay. I'm curious from your perspective, Dina, what do you see as just the largest gaps in rural communities? We talk about how the problem is worse there. Sure. Um, you know, for a lot of our rural communities, they have uh, very small critical access or uh, PPS hospitals. And um, hospitals operate um, in contradiction to some of the studies and some of the uh, articles that have been written of late on very, very tight budgets. And we have seen in the state of Indiana and and really across the country of late where um, physicians no longer want to lead independent practices. It's a very expensive uh, means. And so hospitals have secured um, the practice from the physician and they have in, in Within that, they've also uh, brought nurse practitioners on to provide care. So um, for those hospitals that um, are trying to provide care for their community and for the constituents that live within it, uh, oftentimes in rural communities, there's not access to, um, to transportation. So being able to find care within a reasonable distance um, those folks are extremely important, whether it be able to see your family practitioner or whether you're able to see your nurse practitioner. Um, we see nurse practitioners and family practitioners executing together um, with with smooth transition on a regular basis. Uh, we definitely see more nurse practitioners in rural, um, and I think that we're going to continue to see that number grow, as Angela noted earlier. They're, they are... Um, there are certainly more nurses who are going into those fields, and I think with the uh, recent epidemic, um, which is rather unfortunate, of opioid use and abuse, um, many of those nurses are taking up um, the, the desire to treat addiction and um, try to not only address what's going on with the patient that is having an addiction issue or who is is currently struggling with um, being addicted to an opioid, but also the family members um, that are being directly impacted by the unfortunate uh, situation that 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 individual finds themselves in. And oftentimes it's um, not something that they have sought out, um, but they have been injured doing something and unbeknownst to them, um, they turn around 30, 60 days later, and they find themselves in a, in a situation that they can't get out of. So um, it's certainly um, challenging in all facets. We're talking about advanced practice registered nurses today and uh, whether their ability should be expanded. The state's looking into that. If you, uh, if you have an opinion on the matter, if you have questions on the matter, we would sure like to hear from you during the second half of the program. Give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Sarah Whitmire, and we have four guests with us today. 
Angela Thompson is a family nurse practitioner. Dr. Richard Feldman is a former Indiana Health Commissioner, and he's a practicing physician with Franciscan Health Indianapolis. Dina Dodd is Director of Government Relations and Business Development at Indiana Rural Health Association. And Seema Mohapatra is the uh, is a, a professor who specializes in healthcare at the IUPUI Robert H. McKinney School of Law. If you want to join us on the show, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Uh, Professor Mohapatra, I wanted to know um, from, you know, your research and, you know, the, this issue of providing practitioners in rural areas and um, and areas that have poverty, it, are there, you know, what, what, are, what can changes in health care laws do? What, what health care law changes have you seen that have helped bring this about? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that... Um you know, access can be dealt with. And so, um, you know, one is the, the topic that we're talking about today, but you can also have increases or incentives in physicians going into um, different primary care fields. And so, you know, we already have some of those systems in place in terms of loan forgiveness and, you know, some um, healthcare tra- training programs, um, also expansion of foreign trained physicians and we already have see that in rural areas we have a, a larger percentage of foreign trained physicians that are uh, rural areas and underserved areas that are providing the care in primary care fields um, so those are some of the ways that this has been addressed um, in terms of for access and then also um, in terms of increased medical school training uh, to address some of the physician shortage and physician healthcare shortage areas that we have in this country. So I'm surprised to hear that about, so it sounds like international physicians, foreign trained physicians, or more of them. Is that, why would, would that be? I mean, is their training the same rigorous training that physicians in the United States have to go through? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually quite a rigorous process in order to get uh, qualified to practice medicine in the United States. Um, and so in terms of the testing that has, you know, USL me and the testing that you have to uh, pass in order to be able to practice in the United States and then get residents in the United States. Um, but what we see is that we, in, in terms of the physician workforce, uh, foreign trained physicians actually play a big role in helping uh, address some of this, these physician shortage areas. But they are just, you know, they take the same kinds of testing. They have to be qualified um, and licensure. Uh, as everyone else does. Okay. Dr. Feldman, what do you see as some of the solutions to the shortage if it's not expanding the role of nurse practitioners? Well, I agree with the professor. Uh, she men- she uh, mentioned a number of things that are very important and are pretty main- mainstay in that vein of um, effort uh, to get more physicians and providers in rural areas. Uh, I will say, though, since we we do have some of these mechanisms in place in Indiana, they aren't fully funded. Uh, we have we have loan forgiveness programs and legislation that I was involved with. They pass the legislation and don't fund it. Um, Marion right now has a small uh, scholarship uh, for primary care. IU School of Medicine has a limited number of uh, underserved primary care commitment scholarships, uh, but that's a limited number. Um, And there needs to be much more uh, done in terms of incentives to get people out to where they need to be. Uh, Med schools have done uh, a lot of work, some effort in trying to identify students coming into med school who have a, um, a greater uh, probability of going into rural areas. For instance, getting rural kids into school, they're apt, more apt to go back to a small town. Uh, minorities, uh, th- there's a real struggle to get minorities, um, especially African Americans, into our medical school. So there's a lot of um, 
uh, effort going into some of these things, but again, um, not enough, um, and not enough success stories. The one success story we have in Indiana for primary care is Marion University College of Osteopathic Medicine. That, that was uh, my son, actually, he was in their inaugural class. He's going to graduate uh, next summer. And when we look at osteopathic schools, osteopathic physicians, a large percent go into primary care. As a matter of fact, I think they're over 30% going into family medicine at Marion University. So that was a game changer. Now my residency, 70% of my residents are osteopathic physicians. How do you define osteopathic physician? It, it was a, a different um, uh, category of medicine. Uh, many, it, it, went, uh, it was established over 100 years ago, I think in Kansas. Um, and there was a, just a different philosophy uh, of, of uh, holistic medicine, mind, body, and spirit. They also had the tradition of osteopathic manipulation, orthopedic manipulation. And uh, so there's MDs, allopathic, and DOs, doctor of osteop uh, osteopathic medicine, osteopathic. Okay. So the training is very comparable. It used to be different. It's very comparable today. Uh, and we are getting great high-quality osteopathic physicians out of Marion University. And the major difference, uh, again, they have a more predilection to primary care uh, because I think of this holistic philosophy, but also in addition to the skills of an MD, they have the uh, manipulation, the OMT as they call it, uh, skills. All right, we have a phone call. We're going to go to uh, Tanya on the phone. Go ahead. Hello, Tanya. Yeah. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hi. I'm Tanya Durano. I'm a family nurse practitioner. And I've been a nurse practitioner for over 18 years now. So, my experience has been extensively in primary care, the majority of it actually, and in urgent care and in care in, in rural health. Actually, most of it has been in rural health. And uh, my question to you is, what do you think about nurse practitioners who have the experience in training um, over 15 years, like I do, uh, about them being allowed to practice independently? Goodness knows if I have a question about anything at all, which frankly is often... I ask somebody, a colleague, and it may be a physician, it may be another nurse practitioner or PA, just for another opinion. And uh, knowing what I do know and what I don't know is key all throughout healthcare. It always has been. And it's always been one of my concerns that I don't act like I know something when I don't. So that's, that's certainly... Okay come out of experience, but what do you think about nurse practitioners who have over 15 years experience? I'm going to ask our, our nurse practitioner in the room to sort of comment on the things that you said. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, I mean, you, is that, how long have you done your work? Uh, I came out of practice in 1994 yeah. and so. uh, went back uh, and got my master's degree in 2009 as a family nurse practitioner and then went back and got my doctorate. Uh-huh. Um, in 2017. So, uh, you know, I absolutely feel, I feel like right out of school, APRNs are able to provide primary care. That doesn't mean that they won't consult, collaborate, or work with other healthcare professionals because that really is best practice uh, for anyone. Uh, however, I don't feel like, uh, you know, one has to have a lifetime agreement with a physician to be able to prescribe a medication. And that's really what we're talking about here, because in the state of Indiana, what it actually says is that I can diagnose and treat medical conditions in primary care, um, but I can't prescribe without having a lifetime agreement with a physician to do so. So um, what we're asking is to just uncouple those two licensures, very similar to 
um, other healthcare professions. We don't ask any other healthcare profession to have a licensure agreement with another provider in order to be able to provide dental care. We don't ask dentists to do that. We don't ask um, our podiatrists um, to do that. Uh, we don't ask veterinarians to do that when they're providing care to you know their animals that they have some type of a, an agreement with another medical professional. We don't ask physical therapists to do that. So you know, APRNs are the only ones really in the state of Indiana that have that kind of coupling of their licensure in order to be able to practice. All right, Dr. Feldman. Well, to the to. Uh the listener's question to answer that, I think there should be a mechanism um, for you uh, and also um, newer APRNs to go out when they have adequate experience. Um, the problem is with the training is a physician, and this is just quantitative, the uh, physician has somewhere between twelve and 16,000 hours of training between med school and residency before before they're out by themselves. Um, there's also a qualitative, uh, the, the quantitative difference is with an APRN, they have 500 to 750 hours of clinical experience when they graduate from their professional school. And if you were going to let them go out, that's all the experience they're going to have. And you ask any physician if that is enough experience to go out on oneself, they would say no, because they understand their training and the intensity of the training, the qualitative differences as well, in terms of the intensity and the depth and the depth of responsibility that they have while they're in training. And their training is shoulder-to-shoulder, on-site supervision for... Uh, two years clinical in, in medical school and at least three more years in residency uh, training. That's the difference. And we don't believe, I don't believe, that a nurse practitioner can go out after f- f- 750 hours of, of clinical experience, which is much different, even though 750 hours, because I, I train nurse practitioners and PAs and students and residents, and I've done it for 40 years, and I understand the differences in the training. Um, and the, the nurse practitioner's training is not consistent from school to school. Some are online training, um, and even in uh, our own state, and I know this firsthand, there's not even established uh, rotations for nurse practitioners, at least for all of them to do their training. They're out there trying to find their own experiences, and that's totally unvetted. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the idea that um, you know someone could have 10 years' experience then after that or 18 years' experience? And, and uh, you know, are, is there a, a step in this process where you could say, well, you've got your certification and then you also have almost like a residency or okay. an internship? Okay, that's – Bob, that's exactly what I proposed over the last two legislative sessions. And that was also embraced finally by the entire medical community, including the State Medical Association and the specialty societies. Um, What I had proposed uh, was five years of supervision, true supervision, not just audit of 5% 5% of your charts for your prescription um, practices. But true supervision for five years with a physician, three years of which needed to be on-site, shoulder-to-shoulder, direct supervision and teaching. That's what I proposed. And two years ago during the session, I was told by the lobbyist of uh, your organization, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. That's absurd. And to say that to a physician, and I'm friends with uh, Heather, we're old friends from uh, when I was state health commissioner. To say that to a physician who's had this much training, that that's absurd, it makes you wonder, well, would would the public like to go out and have their physician do two years of medical school and no residency and go out and treat you 
And I would think the vast majority of Americans would say, I don't want that kind of doctor. So, Angela Thompson, what's your response? Well, my response is twofold. So first and foremost, I think it's important to understand that as a a nurse practitioner or APRN, I have a four-year bachelor's degree as a registered nurse and um, thousands and thousands of hours of providing care as an undergrad. That is quite different than a physician who might have their undergrad in biology and not have touched one patient. Um, I also would like to make sure that everyone's aware that um, there is quite a bit of experience uh, practicing as a registered nurse before one goes into their program. It's not always mandated. There are some variations. Some schools do allow direct entry after the baccalaureate to go right into the um, nurse practitioner program. However, many re- do require additional experience, and, and most a- most uh, registered nurses are working while they're going through their APRN program. So. Uh, you know, there, there is a difference in experience. So to say that there is no experience and to say that there's um, such a vast difference in, um, you know, direct on patient care is um, I, I disagree. Um, the other thing is in healthcare, what we really look at to quantify um, a healthcare profession and the quality of care is we look at outcome data. Um, not only do the uh, or you know, healthcare organizations look at outcome data, but so does Medicare, Medicaid, com- uh, commercial payers. Um, we're all uh, expected to provide quality outcomes, and that's what we get reimbursed, and and then that's what uh, determines the adequacy of the care provided. Not necessarily whether you had ten hours or whether you had ten thousand hours. It's really about um, what's the end. Uh, you know, outcome for those patients. And so if the outcome is the same, then really it's irrelevant whether someone has 10,000 hours or someone has 1,000 hours. Professor Mohapatra, are there um, examples of other states that have done things like this where they do allow for the expansion of uh, practices, of advanced practice registered nurses, but there is like an internship program or a certain number of hours they have to work with a physician? Yeah, different states have had different um, numbers of years and times that they've had to have, uh, you know, work with a physician or, you know, under supervision. And so, um, you know, this can vary from one year or two years. And, you know, there have been proposals for even five years. And so that's something that's being, you know, that different states are grappling with, um, how they're going to deal with it. I actually had a question because in... Indiana's current law right now, uh, it's not really laid out what the collaborative agreement needs to be between um, an advanced APRN and a physician. So I was wondering, those of you that have practiced um, as uh, APRN, are you know, because there's not a distance requirement, there's not, I mean, the collaborative practice agreement, the name sounds like it's collaborative, but I'm just wondering in practice, what does that work out in today the way the law is right now? It's really varied. Uh, You know, it varies from one practice to another and from one organization to another what that looks like. You know, every um, practice really has, you know, they're going to have to really look at or they do look at um, how is it going to work in their practice. For me specifically, uh, with the two physicians that I practice with, 5% of my charts are sent to them for review weekly because that is the mandate right now in order to be in compliance with the agreement. But that doesn't mean that we don't collaborate throughout the day because we do and we collaborate um, ongoing. We always have. So that won't change whether there is a change in the licensure requirement here in the state of Indiana. So if you write a prescription or something now, you can just write the prescription. Absolutely. Because of that collaboration agreement and the collaboration agreement, the bottom line is 5% of review of her prescription history. That's, that's all it is. I do want to mention, though, that the law as we have it, and I just talked to Senator Miller, Patricia Miller, uh, during the last interim study committee. We were sitting next to each other. And she affirmed with me, because she was the one who produced this law, the law was never intended 
for independent practice. And now what we're doing is trying to tweak a law uh, to create independent practice, but that law was never intended to be used that way. Mm-hmm. And I'd also maintain that this lack of experience and training in, in, uh, for the APRNs in school, um, you know, they, they've been around for 50 years. And I, I maintain that that training was never intended and the length of training and the hours of training was never intended to result in independent practice. And there was, and I've been doing this 40 years, there was never an expectation of a nurse practitioner that they were going out into independent practice. So the, our whole, your whole educational system is not based on independent practice. And yet we have 22 states that have uncoupled the licensure of an APRN with a physician and have not rescinded that and have shown good quality outcomes and safety data and an increase in workforce since then. Uh, So uh, I think uh, that speaks for itself. Let me mention that. The the medical community is very, very, very uh, clear that we believe your research base is flawed. It's confounded. And uh, you even said, uh, Angela, that it goes back for 40 years. Well, 40 years ago, there, there wasn't independent practice. And it's, it's being confounded by nurse practitioners who are actually being supervised. Matter of fact, during the session, the, the main study that was reviewed by one of the individuals testifying, I can't remember who she was, was 11 years old. Um, and... I think there's also the studies focused on a certain acuity of care. So, you know, and there's another body of, of research that refutes this kind of thing. Well, I, I want to ask Angela and yeah. Dr. Feldman and Dina, maybe you want to weigh in too. Where can we see areas of compromise where we may be able to address this bigger issue of there's not enough there's not enough care providers for people who need care. Well, we we did come to a compromise. We actually worked with um, the Indiana State uh, Medical Association, and at least I understood IAFP was also uh, involved with that uh, agreement for a three-year transition to practice. Uh, And so uh, that was this last session, Um, and and it passed out of the Senate 45 to 5, uh, and and then, unfortunately, when it went over to the House and um, there was a change um, and it was no longer accepted by um, the Indiana State Medical Association, they had a whole list of new asks um, of what needed to be changed in order for them to support it. And I don't believe IAFP changed their stance. Um, Dr. Feldman can kind of um, weigh in on that. But we have really tried to make a compromise um, to shorten this lifetime agreement and to really try and work with our physician colleagues to work on something that's you know, going to provide this access. Um, but unfortunately, when the target's always moving, it, it makes it very difficult to negotiate. No, I, 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 I don't agree with your um, perspective on what was agreed upon. I know the Indian Academy of Family Physicians never agreed uh, to three years of a 5% chart audit, and that's what the collaboration was defined at. Uh, we never agreed to that. The, the ISMA never agreed to that, and uh, they wanted collaboration defined as true teaching, mentorship, collabor- you know, collaboration, working together, uh, in a meaningful instructional way, not just auditing 5% of your prescriptions. All right. Well, we have about three minutes to go, so I want to get uh, <laughs> Dina Dodd and Seema Mohapatra in for the last uh, minute and a half or so each to talk about, you know, how, in your perspective, what do we do to try to expand care out to the rural and underserved areas in the state? I think one of the ways that we have to address it is um, get the great minds at the table um, and figure out exactly what each side really needs to feel comfortable with this. I think that one of the things that we need to really uh, take into consideration is um, reimbursement for physicians. And I say that, and I know I'm going to get hate mail from it, because 
physicians are reimbursed by specialty. The larger the specialty, the more um, um, substantial the specialty, the greater the reimbursement. And if we look across um, healthcare, it really starts with that family practitioner, and they need to be reimbursed in such a way that they're not driven into a specialty to the, so that they can make substan- more, sub- substantially more money than what a family practitioner makes. Um, you know, you don't go to the um, cardiothoracic surgeon or to a heart doctor when you have um, a simple cold, um, and yet those folks are reimbursed substantially more, but you see your family practitioner substantially more. So, you know, I, I know, I go ahead, my email is online, so feel free to, to drop those to me. Um, but that that's a huge thing. That's a huge gap. And so that's substantial. I think the other side of it is um, we need to make folks more aware of telehealth in the state of Indiana. Um, that is a substantially underutilized tool that uh, folks in rural as well as urban areas can have access to to get to get care. All right. Professor, we only have about half a minute to go. Okay. Well, I was going to talk about telemedicine, so that was perfect. Okay. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that uh, you can address this, and telemedicine is one. And I think that in terms of healthcare disparities uh, in general, you know, when we're talking about rural health, our rural populations um, are diverse, and there's lots of health equities with diverse populations. You know, um, in the United States, African Americans are the largest rural uh, minority. Indiana, is, you know, has the 11th highest cancer death. So I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, we need to address these kinds of disparities. And um, so with some of the things that I've talked about before also, so I'm going to leave, I'll leave you here so you can... All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are out of time. That was uh, Professor Seema Mohapatra from IUPUI. Thanks also to Angela Thompson, Dr. Richard Feldman, and Dina Dodd for Sarah Whitmire, producer Benta Boutier, and Kathy Knapp, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports, in print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.